Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. So, are you ready to get started? Uh, yes, I'm very ready. <laughs> ready. How you doing? I'm good. I really need a haircut, so I'm like constantly mm-hmm. looking right now at my split ends to pull them off. I know I should stop doing that. Uh, you're OCD. That's okay. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't <laughs> like the look of a split end, so I, that's what I was no, doing No, I mean, fuck now. a split end for sure. I, we just need to start this whole thing over. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why? I don't know. We're fine. Let's no, keep going. No, it's fine. <laughs> my, <laughs> my name is Sydney. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jess. <laughs> and this is Malpractice Podcast. Welcome. And and we hate split ends. We're having an off day, maybe. I am. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. Why did you want to stop, start over? I don't know. You just felt like it was a bad start? I just felt like it was not great. You know, we don't have a script here. <laughs> we're not. We're just working. We're flying off the cuff. Honestly. And off the handle, frankly. In all honesty, that's exactly what's happening. Well, that was hilarious. I haven't laughed that hard uh, in a while. That was pretty funny. Thank you. <laughs> You're like, we should start over. I'm like, nothing happened. It felt like it did. It felt It felt like this is a take it's, two situation. It, it's fine. Okay. It's totally fine. We'll just, if it's bad, I'll just take it out and post. Yeah. So, it's so biggie. Okay. What I do want to share is that for Valentine's Day, Eric got me. Oh, yeah. A pair of roller skates. Okay, yeah. Good gift. There's a girl I follow on Instagram. Of course. Who roller skates. An influencer. She's an influencer. And so I looked up her skates. They were $700. I said, I can't commit to that. (laughs) (laughs) I might wear these four times. So (laughs) I found a cheaper pair of roller skates and I said, Eric. I want the knockoff. This is what I want for Valentine's Day. And he got them for me. And I'll admit, when I got on them for the first time, the first time I've roller skated in, gotta be since 15 years. The Skaterama. Yeah. We have a building in our hometown called the Skaterama. When you were a kid, it was very <laughs> trendy to have your birthday parties there. A hundred. And you know it was trendy because, yes, how many of my birthday parties were there? I know how many. <laughs> Zero. And that's how you know it was trendy because that's not what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. My family had a Skaterama birthday occasionally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So you'd rent out the skating rink and all your little friends would come. You'd get pizza. There's prizes. You know, there's it's a whole situation. I have not skated since I closed the doors on the Skaterama when I was probably 12. Probably. Okay. So I got on them and I was like, this is going to go badly. (laughs) (laughs) So Eric took my arm or he put my hands on his arm like this. And he was running up and down the hallway with me on his arm because I didn't know how to build speed. Eric. So he was like helping me roller skate and I learned how to stop. It's going well. That's the moral of the story. That's cool. I'm on my journey to quitting my day job and becoming no a skating influencer. That's what I want to do now. No. <laughs> I just know already. I literally said you said okay. I'm on my journey. I said no. <laughs> <laughs> you said I knew no, you were gonna you're say something stop wild. Stop that right now. What if I no. dropped out of my PhD? Nope. And started skating full time. Who pays you for that? Someone has to pay you, right? I don't think so. <laughs> Not just for skating full time. Damn it. Okay, fine. I don't feel like that's a job. I feel like it could be. I will say I am watching Love is Blind. Are you watching that? No. Should I be? That is a that is 
possibly the biggest mistake you've ever made. Okay, wait. In your life. I will say. And I know people you've dated, so. Accurate. Entirely <laughs> accurate. Scary to say on air and accurate. Scare, risky, maybe. Risky but biscuits. <laughs> but here's the thing. While we're in Jess's recommendation quarter, you mm-hmm. recommended a show called Yellow Jackets. Yeah. That I am currently binging. Oh, as you should. It's sickening. It's so good. If you are not watching the show, mm-hmm. it is sickening and good. I can't talk about it because I will spoil that entire show. Here's what you have to know about Jess. She loves a spoiler. She loves Immediately to give I a spoiler. She loves to yes. get a spoiler. Mm-hmm. If she starts a book, she'll be like, tell me how it ends. <laughs> how? What happens at the end? So I know... I I don't want to wait. No, I hate that. <laughs> I hate a spoiler. I hate waiting. I love suspense. I'm a suspense bitch. That's what I'm into. Yeah, but I li- I don't like suspense if I don't know the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> but if I know the outcome, then I like suspense. See, I I want to like, be surprised by the outcome. No. That's that's what I'm all about. That's what I'm in it for. Ultimately, if I could pick a superpower, I would love to know the future so I could change it. So you're telling me mm-hmm. you could pick flying. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's fucking nonsense. <laughs> flying? We're birds yeah. in the air? Fuck no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. This is how unlucky I am. I'd be like the first person ever to fly. I'd be having a great ass time and I'd fly into like a wind farm and get choppied. Chop, chop, chopped. <laughs> yep. And I would see ahead in the future and I would let you know. <laughs> don't see? go near that wind farm. That's not the one. That's a me. <laughs> Birds die. Birds are kind of dumb. That's horrifying. And I have to tell you another horrifying thing. No. While we're on the topic of birds. Immediately no. I came home on Saturday. I had to go into work. I came I'm home. Scared. Immediately no. Okay. I know. Just bear with me. It's horrifying. So I came home and there was like a giant puff of feathers in our driveway. <gasps> Who killed it? What happened? I don't know. There's a crime scene, a bird crime scene in our driveway. <gasps> there was blood. And feathers and a little bit of bone. A cat got that. A bird got murdered in oh, our Oh, yeah. Driveway. That's exactly what happened. And what did you do? <laughs> I feel really bad for laughing. I got a leaf blower and I blew the feathers away. Because you are on the side of cats always. Yeah. I'm an enabler. And that's what happened. And that's what happened. I covered up that cat's crime and I'll do it again. <laughs> do you want to get into it? Uh, you know, <laughs> I do. Okay. Um, so I wanted to take on a historical topic for this episode, an acknowledgement in honor of Black History Month, though I am resistant to classifying all black history and putting it in one month. Mm-hmm. So I landed on the story of the first black doctors in the U.S. Um, and I say doctors because there are actually two people that I'm going to talk about. Yeah. One has a medical degree and one doesn't. So I consider them both to be doctors. They both practiced. And while there isn't much information available on the first who had no medical degree, I wanted to share what I found with the listeners and with you before jumping into the doctor who gained a medical degree and has like a really interesting story. They both have a really interesting story. So that's what I'm going to do today. This is so interesting. I'm so excited to know about this. And both of them are named James. Oh. So a tale of two James. 
Ooh, I love it. <laughs> so James Durham was the first African-American physician in the U.S. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and many consider him that first black doctor while also not having much information about him because mm-hmm. of the time period and also um, considering who was holding the keys to the records at that point. Yeah. His last name appears as both D-U-R-H-A-M and D-E-R-H-A-M. So if you're looking it up, you could have records with both. Okay. Um, I want to make that clear if you wanted to, like, dig around. Yeah, because they were terrible at spelling last names back then. That's just facts. And they gave zero fucks. True. Yeah. He had no medical degree. He was born into slavery in 1762. He became the assistant to the human trafficker who bought him, Dr. John Kearsley. I do often refer to people who enslaved other people as human traffickers, so that is in here quite often. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. That's what I feel that they are. Yeah, we're fine with it. Yeah. John would teach him how to read and write in Spanish and French while introducing him to medicine. He was bought and sold by people who were physicians. Yeah. But they did provide him an education. Mm -hmm. And then when John died in 1776, you know, the year 1776, the year of American freedom. That's literally all I can think of is a Hamilton quote. (laughs) The year of like American freedom. She says in quotes, yeah. James was sold to Dr. George West, who continued providing James his education, and he was sold at the age of 15 at that point. Mm-hmm. In 1783, he was sold again to Dr. Robert Dow. He was a Scottish-born physician who was living in New Orleans. It is widely recognized that Robert was overall like kind to James, though obviously he was part of his enslavement. And allowed him to actually practice on patients, which makes James the first recorded African-American to ever be allowed to do that. That's so interesting. Okay. The assumption is that James purchased his own freedom in 1783 and actually established a medical practice in New Orleans where he specialized in throat medicine. Oh, interesting. He treated patients. Right? That's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. He treated patients during the outbreak of yellow fever in the 1780s, which is like a terrible disease that swept through and impacted the area. Mm-hmm. It's also noted that he worked for a famous physician, Dr. Benjamin Rush, in Pennsylvania for some time. However, when he was there, his practice was restricted because Pennsylvania started regulations in 1801 that barred someone from practicing medicine without a formal medical degree. Mm. Suddenly they care. And also All to restrict sudden. black people. Yeah. From practicing medicine. Okay. Um, his date of death is unknown, but it's recognized that he went missing in 1802. Ooh. And considering the historical error and racism that we were in, I assumed he was murdered, and historians also assume the same. Um, but we actually aren't sure. Oh, wow. That's really tragic. So how old was he when he was when he went missing? Um, you're going to have me do some math. Like 40? So he was only 40 years old, and that's really sad. It's super sad. And that's that's all they know. And that's, like, literally the story. The thing that I find yeah. devastating about this, obviously, besides him going missing, is that, like, his... The only thing they essentially know about him is, like, his bill of sale, which is fucked up. Yeah. And, and though this timeline for the next James is not that far after... The first James, I honestly, what I think is different is the access yeah. that he had. I mean, it's just like overwhelmingly a different story. Okay. 
So yeah, wanted to pay pay some homage to James um, as the first black doctor in the U.S. I think that's really cool, and that's like this. That's super cool. That's so interesting and sad that that's all they know. Yep. So okay, so James number two now. Yeah, now I want to talk about the first black doctor to practice in the U.S. with a medical degree, and that is Dr. James McCune Smith. He's also the first black male to have articles published in American medical journals. Wow. So he's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. So James was born in 1813, only, what, 11 years after the first James was, like, pronounced missing. Yeah. To an enslaved mother in Manhattan, New York City. His family and all of the community of enslaved people in New York were freed, quote-unquote, by the Emancipation Act of 1827 when he was 14 years old. His mother, Lavinia, was born into slavery in South Carolina and then trafficked to New York. His father was Samuel Smith, a white merchant, and the person who trafficked his mother. Um, So he was biracial. His family heritage, he said, is spotted with both enslaved people mm. and people who enslaved people throughout the family history. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, so much so that people in, like, modern times were, like, very white presenting and didn't even know that he yeah. was part of their family history. And, like, found out... I, I read a story about this woman who looked in her great-grandmother's mm-hmm. Bible and found his name and realized that she, like, was related to him. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, though knowing who his father was, he said he grew up with only his mother and called her a self-emancipated woman. He operated in the world as a black man and had to live with and through America like as a black man, but he was biracial. Mm-hmm. He was able to have attended school at the African Free School Number no. 2 on Mulberry Street in Manhattan and was noted as being just incredibly gifted with his studies. Yeah. Uh, Fun fact, one of the tutors during this time was Reverend Peter Williams Jr., who would go on to be the second African-American priest in the Episcopal Church. Oh, very interesting. Um, Yeah. Hmm. This was like prime prime community, really, for him. Yeah. He did apply to universities in the U.S., like Columbia, Geneva Medical School. I want to call them out specifically because they denied him because he was black. Okay. Even though he was, like, freed, remember? So, in theory, Mm -hmm. whatever. They're trash. Right. The University of Glasgow. Gal? Glasgow? Glasgow. Okay. Well, they just, why do they need this W here? (laughs) (laughs) Stepped in and offered to actually assist along with his former school and paying for his way over to go to school in Europe and his living there. In Scotland. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. And he was welcomed there by the London Agency Anti-Slavery Society. And according to historians, James experienced semi-racial tolerance in Scotland and England. Okay. In school, he was like a star. He graduated top of his class. He earned not one, not two, but three degrees from the University of Glasgow that can't spell its own name. Um, just kidding. I don't want anyone to come for us from there. Just kidding. Oh, speaking of which, actually, while we're on the topic of saying Glasgow wrong, the other name of the city in Scotland where the Body Snatchers episode was. Oh, did we say a name wrong? Yeah. Yeah. What was it? So Eric pointed out to me that you said Edinburgh instead of Edinburgh. That's what it looks like. So that's what I said, Eric. (laughs) No one needed your opinion. Spell it like you say it. Whatever. Anyway. Apologies, I suppose. (laughs) You got me. Yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> you won't be the first person to tell me I can't read. So. You won't be the first and you won't be the last. <laughs> Joke's on you. Get over it. Back to James. <laughs> Get over it. He he got his bachelor's in 1835, his master's in 1836, and his medical doctorate in 1837. Damn. But he studied longer throughout that time. Okay. He, he also had an internship in Paris in between. Look at him. In all of these classes, he thrived. He loved a demanding educational environment. He was excited to attend an, an attending university that was a leading seat in the Scottish Enlightenment. Basically, it was like a really good fit for him. Mm-hmm. He was there for five years. Yeah. And by the end of it, was fluent in Latin, Greek, and French mm-hmm. with an additional working knowledge of Hebrew, Italian, Spanish, and German. That is a number of languages that I can't even comprehend. <laughs> Correct. That's amazing. It, he's pretty incredible. While he no was in kidding. Scotland, he joined the Glasgow Emancipation Society and met people in this movement, essentially, overseas. And then he decides, okay, I'm ready to return to New York. He wanted to make tangible change. Yeah. When he attempted to book his passage to New York, the captain of the first ship refused because he was black what? to take him. Your yeah. garbage. I hope your boat sank. <laughs> I hope it went under immediately. Just immediately, that, no. Can I say that? <laughs> Pull the plug. I hope it did. They finally found someone who would agree to take him. He received a hero's welcome from his former classmates and teachers. Aww. Everyone was so proud of him for returning, one, for returning so educated, too, and then to return to a hostile space with an effort and focus of creating change. Yeah. He said at that event, I have striven to obtain education at every sacrifice and every hazard and to apply such education to the good of our common country. Oh, my God. He's a much better person than me. (laughs) Me, too. I'd be like, I'm here to ruin everyone's day. I'd be flexing my degrees. I'd be like, what's up, bitches? I'm back. He's like, I'm here to be a good person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His experience learning and living at the university really pushed him to return. And he knew that this was not the experience that other black Americans could have. And he wanted to work actively against that. Right. So when he did return to New York, he joined the American Anti-Slavery Society and worked for the cause yeah. consistently and would do so until he passes away. In his time, he would publish so many pieces of writing, so many lectures like Destiny of the People of Color, wow. Freedom and Slavery for Africans, a lecture on the Haitian Revolution. And those are just a few. There's so there's actually a, a book, I think I mentioned it later, that you can purchase just like of all of his writings. That's incredible. By the start of 1838, James opened his own practice in general surgery and medicine at 151 Reed Street, New York City, and a pharmacy at 93 West Broadway. It was the first African-American-owned and operated pharmacy in the U.S. Wow. This is the busiest person we have ever talked about, period. Honestly, just wait, because he's not even done. Oh, my God. He's not even done being busy. Okay. He would hold abolitionist meetings in the back of the pharmacy, and then he he treated both Right, both black and white patients wow. at his a medical practice. And at night, he started a school where he would teach children. When does this man rest? He doesn't. Never. He does never, not sleep. Never rests. I'm shook. I know. In 1846, he was appointed as the only physician to the Colored Orphan Asylum at 44th Street and 5th Avenue. Before that time, the directors of this asylum, which is essentially an orphanage, right, 
um, would have to depend on pro bono yeah. services of doctors. So he was actually the first full-time physician. Okay. He spent 20 years there. Oh, my God. He regularly gave vaccines for smallpox. He treated measles, for which there was no vaccine or antibiotic at the time. And he saw to the children's general health. He cared a lot for the children there. And in 1852, he presented the trustees with uh, 5,000 acres of land that his friend, a white abolitionist, Garrett Smith, had donated. And it, he donated the land to be sold to benefit the children at the orphanage. And, that, and that's what they did. I'm going to cry. I love. And so he and Garrett met when he returned to the U.S. And he joined the American Anti-Slavery Society. Uh-huh. And they would remain friends until their death. And Garrett was a very, very wealthy white abolitionist. And he just, like, really took to James. This whole story is so sweet. I know. I love that we know so much about his story and it's so yeah. sad that we don't know more about the other James. I know. Yeah, it's it's tragic. Um speaking of tragedy, during the draft riots in Manhattan, um and I'll like talk about them in a minute, but the draft riots are basically riots because um basically the north was getting more men to enlist okay. for the um Civil War. Like, and war is a Bruin, yeah. War is, is actively a Bruin. So during that riot, Irish rioters attacked black Americans in the streets and burned down the orphan asylum. Um, the children were saved by Union oh troops God. and the staff. But um, I just want to say, like, during its years of operation, the orphanage served um, 1,310 children. That's amazing. Also, who burns down an orphanage during a riot? That's a dick move. Well, for black children. Oh. You know, the racism of like... It was like targeted, you think? I'm I'm being drafted to fight in a war that's about your freedom. Okay. I don't give a shit about you, is the vibe. Or these children? Yeah, apparently. If you're thinking about burning down an orphanage think twice because history is going to look back on you and be like you're a dick no matter what big dick vibes but like also not big (laughs) (laughs) like little dick vibes like i don't know you're an asshole whatever the bad one is that's you (laughs) yeah you suck you like authentically are probably the worst human being ever yeah so yeah he would continue working and eventually owned two pharmacies practiced medicine for 25 years in the 1840s he married malvina barnett i love that name who was also Malvina, Malvina is I love. beautiful. Yeah. She was also biracial, mm-hmm. and they had 11 children. Okay. Only five would live to adulthood. Okay. The first one was Frederick Douglas Smith, Peter Mary James, who eventually became a teacher, mm. Henry, Amy, another Mary, they called her Maud. She never married, but she became a teacher and lived with her brother Donald. They named two separate kids yeah. Mary? Well, the first Mary didn't make it, so maybe they just, like, oh. passed that on. That was common back then, I think, yeah. to, like, recycle a name because yeah. they only had, like, 14 in all of history then. And her name, they she went by Maud instead of Mary. Okay. She never married. Fair. She became a teacher and lived with her brother Donald, who became a lawyer and was widowed, and he took in his sister. Oh, wow. John, he's a nice guy, worked in Florida. In Florida? No, <laughs> in Florida. Yeah. Um. He got married. He moved to Brooklyn, and he worked as a printer. Interesting. There was a guy named Guy. <laughs> he was a seaman, and then he became a salesman. And he had, like, a really big family. Mm. And then there's, like, one unnamed child um, as well who did not live to adulthood, but 11 kids. That's a 
a big number. Can you imagine? It's more than... No! How does one even build a table at which you can feed 11 children? Show me the plans for that table. How did they transport these children? I mean, they walked mostly, I believe. Carriage? You'd have to walk. Where are you going to... How are you going to take them anywhere? (laughs) Where are you going? If you have 11 kids, you're not going going anywhere. all those kids? No, nowhere. You're not going. My mom is one of nine kids, and when my mom was little... They had a school bus. No. Like, like they an bought... authentic school bus. Yes. Yes. They bought and painted an old school... There were nine kids. How are you going to take them anywhere? That's terrifying. Too many kids. If you need a school bus, it's too many. It's way too many. It's interesting to note that all the children were identified as, like, white, as in the census did not actually identify them as another race. Oh. They were all white passing, all of them. Mm-hmm. In the 1850s, he was a member of the Committee of 13. He was an organizer of resistance to the Fugitive Slave Act, which was that law that was like if someone who was enslaved is free and you catch them no matter where they are, they have to be returned to the people that were trafficking them. Yeah. Also, Um, a quick point about this, because the book we're reading for our book club had a thing about this. Have you gotten to that part yet? I'm not. Okay. But go ahead. So, turns out, when the Fugitive Slave Act got passed, they were not super picky about whether you were an escaped enslaved person or whether you were just, like, a like a person who was black minding their own business. Correct. Like, they were just Correct. snatching people off the street. Yes. Okay. Just that is wanted fact. to throw that out there so everyone knows the vibe of society at this time. It's not great. I mean, authentically, the Fugitive Slave Act can literally kiss my ass in its entirety because it's disgusting. Where was I? Okay, at this time, he was also, so he was, like, resisting the Fugitive Slave Act, and he will go on to resist many things, uh, pieces of legislation. At this time, he's also working alongside Frederick Douglass to establish the National Council of Colored People. You notice that one of his children was named Frederick Douglass after his friend. When you said that... I was like, maybe my time is off, but he either named him after Frederick Douglass. No, he named him after Frederick Douglass. They were really, really good friends. That's amazing. So they established a National Council of Colored People. It was one of the first ever permanent black national organizations that started with a three-day convention in New York. Mm -hmm. And Frederick Douglass said this about James. Educated in Scotland and breathing the free air of that country... He came back to his native land with the ideas of liberty, which placed him in advance of most of his citizens of African descent. And Frederick, um, like, goes on to say several times that James was, like, one of the most influential people in his life. Wow. So they were really close friends. That's amazing. If Frederick Douglass said anything about you, you're cool. Period. (laughs) Period. At the convention, James and Douglass focus on education and urging the founding of more schools for black youth. James wanted choices available for both industrial and classical education. So, like, access to, like, trade schools was really important to James even back then. Yeah. And Douglas valued him so much and called him the single most important influence of his life. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I saw thy die. Like, it's beautiful. Yeah. That's so nice. Um, The historian John Staffer of Harvard said of James that he was one of the leaders within the movement to abolish slavery And one of the most original and innovative writers of his time. So he was, like, a very good writer. How does anyone not... How do I not know about this person? How does anyone not know about him? 
Because he's not a part of, like, the classical education system because the classical education system is trash. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. In 1840, he wrote the earliest known case report by a black physician titled The Case of... Pedalism. With fatal termination. Do you know what that is? I literally just Googled it, and it's hypersalivation. Great. It's when you your body produces too much spit. <laughs> and then you die? Yeah, and then you die. Jesus. Um, in the New York Journal of Medicine, and that's the earliest known black contribution to medical literature I mentioned at the top of this section about this James. That's so interesting. He was really into drawing from medical training to discredit the misconceptions around the differences among the races as well. Yeah. So he gave a lecture series, Comparative Anatomy and the Physiology of the Races, that demonstrated how prenology, which is the scientific practice I say scientific and big quotes Mm -hmm. to draw racist conclusions and attribute negative characteristics to people of African descent. If you want to hear about phrenology, the interview that we did with Tegan Kehoe, the medical historian, she's got some really cool insights on phrenology and how it's basically a garbage system. Yeah. It's pure trash. It literally was invented to be like... It's like junk science. Um, We are better and smarter, and here's why people who are not white are dumb. Like, that's what it was invented for. It's literally just medical racism. Exactly. So James would, like, actively pull from medical training to discredit, like, one by one, all of those lies. That's amazing. Good for him. He wrote he wrote using his statistical studies from Glasgow as well. Mm-hmm. So he refuted an argument from slave owners who said and wrote that black people were inferior and that enslaved people were better off than free black people were. He drew up actual statistical tables of data derived from the census to prove them wrong. He's a genius. He's very intelligent and driven and knows exactly how to, like, fight fire with fire, right? Oh, yeah. He's inc- he's much smarter than any of the people he's writing against, too. So it's like... He speaks like 12 languages. He's a genius. <laughs> so he did that again, the statistical modeling. When the U.S. Secretary of State, John Calhoun, claimed that freedom was bad for black people. Oh, and that the 1940 U.S. Census showed that black people in the North had higher rates of insanity and mortality than enslaved black people in the South... James actually responded with a paper, a dissertation on the influence of climate on longevity. And in that paper, he analyzed the census to refute what Calhoun said and to show the correct way to actually analyze the data. So he's like, here's what Calhoun said. This is what he did wrong. Here's how you actually analyze the data. And the correct way to analyze it showed that obviously black people in the North lived longer than enslaved people in the South, attended church more, and had educational achievements when they were given access to them that were in line with or exceeded that of white people. Um, Also, I'd like to point out, number one, fuck John Calhoun, just blanket statement. Period. There's a street in Houston that was previously named after John Calhoun that is currently, right now, in the process of being renamed. He's disgusting. Yeah. They said, you can't even have a street in Houston anymore, bitch. You're going to have shit. (laughs) You can't have anything. You are garbage. Uh, Bye-bye. So in that same line, um, in 1847, the founding year of the New York Academy of Medicine, Mm -hmm. James was actually nominated for a resident fellowship by two of the founding members. Because he was black, 
The group neither accepted nor rejected him and created a rule that James would be regarded as quote unquote not nominated, which essentially I mean, but he was rejected his fellowship. You're wrong. He was nominated, period. So bunch of bitches. <laughs> period. He also wrote the introduction to Frederick Douglass's autobiography, My Bondage and My Freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote, the worst of our institutions in its worst aspect cannot keep down energy, truthfulness, and earnest struggle for the right. So he would like take these all in yeah, stride. He's just a better person than everyone else, period. When you said the word earnest, that's the vibe that I get from him is like earnest and hardworking mm-hmm. and he just like keeps his head down and does his. Yeah. And I could not be more respectful of that vibe, but I also could not be pettier as a human being. <laughs> I know. And you just can't like no one can keep him from succeeding is the moral of the story. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't care about that award. Let's move on. In the mid 1850s, James helped establish the Legal Rights Association in Manhattan. The LRA waged a 10 year campaign against segregated public transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the organization actually set the stage for defeating segregation in New York and served as a model for later organizations like the NAACP and the National Equal Rights League. That's amazing. Yep. He's doing everything. He's like, what else should I do? He's the most productive human we have ever talked about on this podcast. I know. Bar none. (laughs) And he's literally not even done. In 1852, he was invited as a founding member of the New York Statistics Society and was elected in 1854 as a member of the American Geographic Society. Why not? (laughs) Yep. The American Medical Association never admitted him to their ranks because they are a bunch of of assholes i'll fight him right now let's go (laughs) i'm ready to by 1859 he published an article using science and analysis to refute thomas jefferson's theories on race that he wrote in his notes notes on the state of virginia in 1785 so that's what thomas jefferson wrote that james refuted through science and actual logic because thomas jefferson was not a scientist number one he was an idiot number two go ahead have you ever read Thomas Jefferson's notes on hooking up with old women? I don't I don't want to read that. I would not suggest it, but I will also say Thomas Jefferson did extensive writing. Thomas Jefferson is disgusting. Eric read it to me because he was like, you need to hear what our founding father. <laughs> Honestly, Thomas Jefferson is one of my least favorite. He said, you need to hear papers. what our founding father did in his spare time. Like least like when we were in school i feel like everybody was like thomas jefferson he's cool and now i'm like thomas jefferson kind of sucks he was cool in school because they waited they portrayed him was like hot-headed and like spoke his mind but he was just a dick that's literally what he was he's like the person in your group who's like the honest one like the brutally honest one you know who's like i'm just brutally honest and not everybody can take that yeah he's a bully and i'm like you're a bitch (laughs) just say that yeah, he's an it's he's shorter. A bully. Yeah, Same. yeah. And I know that in Hamilton we love him. Yeah, because he's played by David Diggs. We love David Diggs, period. Correct. I wanted to make this note and I forgot to put it in my notes. In Hamilton, you are inclined to like these people because of the people playing oh, them. Oh yeah. Not because of who these people are. Thomas Jefferson ass. asshole. Love slavery, was all about it, raped, I want to say, I, I would bet hundreds of, of 
enslaved women. Yeah. He also was disgusting. Wrote super detailed paragraphs. I don't even know how to, I don't even know what to say about that. That is <laughs> blowing my mind. You take mind. it or leave it. You take I'm it or leave it, it. But it's there. It's handwritten, signed by him. He signed it. He Why would he left do the that? receipts. That is because people in that time lived with no consequences. Like your only consequence was or remorse. Maybe a duel and half the time bitches missed. So fuck Thomas Jefferson. This is not about Literally, him. Literally <laughs> I hate him so much. He just moved up a couple lines in the people in history that I hate. <laughs> Straight to jail. Point of clarification. After we recorded I googled it. I was wrong. It was not Thomas Jefferson. It was Benjamin Franklin who was really into old women. That's okay, because Thomas Jefferson is still gross. I can neither confirm or deny whether he was also into strange things. But I will say, this particular kink was Benjamin Franklin's. I will link a source. <laughs> um, you can purchase and read his collected essays. James is not Thomas Jefferson. Never read <laughs> um, James's essays, speeches, and letters. They're published in a book called The Works of James McCune Smith, A Black Intellectual and Abolitionist. It was published in 2006 and edited by John Staffer from Can Harvard. I ask a weird so, question? Do you know if they type, like, sure. did they retype it out or do they have the original manuscripts? Because that would be so cool. I'm sure they have photos of, cool. of some of that. I like historical documents. I don't Great know why. Great question. <laughs> okay. I do too. I do too. I'm a nerd. By 1860, he was doing, like, really well. I mean, he was already doing all the things. Yeah. He moved to Leonard Street in the Fifth Ward, had a, essentially a mansion, mm-hmm. a money money. He had real money. He had a living servant and, by all accounts, would have stayed in that mansion had there not been those draft riots in Manhattan in 1863. They were, like, violent disturbances, right? Yeah. Right. So the American Civil War was between 1861 and 1865, just so people know that time period. Yeah. That's good for people like me who don't know history dates because I don't know them. (laughs) Right. But basically, it's even more impressive now that he was so successful pre-Civil War society. Agreed. In 1863, he was actually appointed as a professor of anthropology at Wilberforce College. It was the first African-American-owned and operated college in the U.S. Oh, interesting. But at that time, he was too ill to take the position. He passed away on November 17th, 1865, due to heart disease at the age of 52. Damn it. That, That was actually 19 days before the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Ugh. 52 years to have done everything that he did. I thought he was going to be way older than that. Incredible. I know. That's amazing. So however short his life, he left a legacy of medical, science, pharmacy, literature, and geographic writings. So because he wrote so much, we have a lot of information about him. Yeah. He used his education and training to write about common conceptions of race, intelligence, medicine, and society in general. Yeah. His body of work would also include abolitionist speeches and works supporting black civil rights, which would be quoted and used like... In the, for the entire black, uh, black civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So in November of 2018, the New York Academy of Medicine, you know, those bitches who declined him, even though two people... Oh, yeah. Yeah. They finally inducted him as a fellow. Like posthumously. This was 171 years after his nomination and 153 years 
after his death. You're 171 years late. Exactly. In 2010, several of his descendants met each other and commissioned a new tombstone for his grave and gathered to honor him. Oh, that's so cool. I know. A far cooler place, the University of Glasgow, named its learning hub the James McCune Smith Learning Hub. It's a full building. Oh, wow. And opened to students in um, 2021. And there's a scholarship and a lecture every year set up in his name. That's amazing. And that's what I know about James, the James. Dude, what a legacy. Yeah. That's so cool. He's like just an incredible person. And I'm really glad that I could share. I'm glad that you, you know, admitted to not knowing about him. I'd never heard of him either. I've never so heard I, of him. I love doing, you know, like we love this. Like this is someone you should have learned about. That was amazing. I love it. Great work. If you have a recommendation for us to cover next, send us a DM. Unless it's Thomas Jefferson. You keep that shit out of our DMs. Because I do not like that man. <laughs> Things have gotten far too loosey-goosey here for on my end. If you have a recommendation or... <laughs> you do that part. No, go ahead. If you have a recommendation or you want to talk to us, you can email us at malpracticepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, if you think there's someone that we should talk to that you know who's in the medical field. Yeah, or really yeah. anyone. We're opening up. <laughs> we'll talk to anyone. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I will absolutely not. But I encourage you to all message Sydney. <laughs> no, please don't. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't forget to leave us a review. <laughs> Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you like to listen. Uh, if you leave us a nice review, we'll read it on the air because we love it. Yeah, and we'll be super excited. If you leave us a mean review, we will make a voodoo doll. So <laughs> We'll talk shit about you before we start recording. So there's 100%. that. 100%. <laughs> That's a fact. Great work. I hope that you... As listeners of this podcast, find time to recognize, acknowledge, and celebrate Black History Month. And don't forget, malpractice, malpractice makes, makes perfect. perfect. Bye. Bye. <laughs>